You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 92 by Rudolf Steiner. Uh, the title is The Occult Truths of Myths and Legends, 16 Lectures, but only the listener's notes, uh, given in, from 04 to 07. This is Lecture 2, given in Berlin on the 1st of July, 1904, entitled Reading the Akashic Chronicle, Wolfram von Eschenbach. Having said various things of an esoteric nature last Friday, by way of preparation, what I have to say today will not seem so strange to you. I would like to discuss an aspect of the history of the last centuries, taken from the Akashic Chronicle. You know that everything that happens is recorded in a certain way, in an eternal chronicle in the substance of Akasha, which is a far more subtle substance than the ones we know. You are aware that all the events of history and prehistory are recorded in this substance. What in theosophical terminology is usually called the Akashic Chronicle is, however, not the original records, but the reflection of the actual records in astral space. In order to read this, certain requirements are necessary, at least one of which I will talk about. In order to be able to read the Akashic Chronicle, it is necessary to put one's thoughts at the disposal of the forces and beings which in theosophical terminology we call the Masters. It is necessary that the Masters instruct us in how to read the Akashic Chronicle, which is written in signs and symbols and not in the words of any existing or former language. As long as we apply the energy we use in ordinary thinking, and every person who has not explicitly learned to exclude their ego uses this energy, we will not be able to read the Akashic Chronicle. If you ask yourself, who is thinking, you will have to say, I am thinking. You connect subject and predicate when you form a sentence. For as long as you connect the separate concepts with each other, you are not in a position to read the Akashic Chronicle because you are connecting your thoughts with your own ego. You have to shut off the ego. You must renounce all sense of your own mode of thinking, Eigensinn. You must just take ideas and let the connection between separate ideas arise through forces outside of yourself, through the spirit. A renunciation is necessary, not of thinking, but of connecting separate thoughts yourself. Then a master can come and teach you how to let your thoughts be arranged by the Spirit into what the universal world spirit is able to show of events and things that have taken place in history. When you no longer exercise critical judgment on things, then the universal world spirit itself speaks to you and you place your thought substance at its disposal. I now have to talk about something that might arouse prejudices. I must tell you something that is good as a preparation for shutting off the self-willed ego and thereby learning to read the Akashic Chronicle. 
You know that something was done by monks in the Middle Ages that is despised today. They sacrificed their intellect. Medieval monks did not think in the way modern researchers do. The monks had a specific body of sacred knowledge, holy revealed theology, whose content was given and one did not question it. The theologian of the Middle Ages used his intellect to elucidate and defend the given revelations. No matter how we may regard it today, this was a strict schooling, this sacrificing of the intellect to a given content. We will not go into whether, from a modern point of view, this was something beneficial or objectionable. The monk's sacrifice of the intellect, the exclusion of judgment emanating from the personal I, capital, taught them how to put their thoughts at the service of something higher. In a later incarnation, what was brought about previously through this sacrifice now comes into effect and gives the person in question the faculty of selfless thought and makes him a genius at perceiving, genie des Anschauens. If higher vision, intuition, is added to this, he can use this ability to read the facts in the Akashic Chronicle. It is most especially interesting to outline once more from this point of view the period in the spiritual development of Europe we discussed eight days ago, namely the period from the ninth to the 13th, 14th, 15th century. If we have attained this selflessness with regard to thought content, and combined it with the right sense of reverence, of devotion, in the way the mystics were required to do, then the time when great minds appear in world history often appears very different from how it is portrayed in profane history. When we look at this period in the Akashic Chronicle, our gaze is caught by a great figure who can teach us an enormous amount about those times, a figure who is great for the ordinary researcher, but greater still by far for the occultist, Wolfram von Eschenbach. Wolfram von Eschenbach worked on German, Romance, and Spanish legends. He belonged among the great initiated writers who were selfless enough to work on great existing themes and did not believe they had to create new ones. The great writers like Homer, Sophocles, Euripides, Aeschylus never had to hunt for themes. Wolfram von Eschenbach belongs among these great writers. In his works he portrays for us the inner spiritual history of the period from the ninth to the 15th century. This, externally, is a preparatory period for our modern times, in which, as we have seen, everything belonging to the external sense world is studied. This began with Copernicus. People now began to take the physical plane seriously, and not as hitherto, as a symbol of the higher planes. The worldview of the ancients was not wrong. It was just a view from a different standpoint. They regarded the phenomena of the external world as symbols for devaconic conditions. Copernicus said that we no longer want to see the physical world as a symbol, but want to look at the physical world itself. Of course, people's whole picture of the world was changed, it was during this time that the focus of attention was prepared that is directed toward what is practical, physical, and material. Earlier cultures on which our physical life depended for its traditions and authorities made a transition into a culture 
where the important thing was personal aptitude. Previously, a farmer's son had standing because he was a farmer's son. A knight's son inherited the privileges of his ancestors. This changed during this period. This is the period of the founding of towns. Everywhere people streamed together and founded towns. The middle class expanded. Practical inventions appear. The pocket watch, the printing press. But this is only the external aspect. People's souls were directed toward the practicality of knowledge, as seen in Copernicus, and which developed further in the Enlightenment and politically in the French Revolution. The merchant classes pursued practical interests for which a personal aptitude was necessary. What one's father did was no longer so important. For one who investigates things in the Akashic Chronicle, it is clear that what occurs on the physical plane is directed from the higher planes. The leading minds are influenced by initiates who work on the higher planes. Behind individuals of genius we find high beings who work behind the scenes from the White Lodge. The physical aspect is only the external side. The inner side is the work of the highest initiates of the White Lodge and their emissaries who go forth into the world. I should like briefly to describe this occult hierarchy. We have there beings that are never seen, the masters. For people on the physical plane they cannot be perceived. Among these, people on the physical plane are chalas, occult pupils, who undertake to carry onto the physical plane the great commissions of the masters. The first who teach there are called hamsas, which means swans. The chalas, who are called homeless, are so called because their home is not in this world but on the higher planes. They give people the teachings they themselves have received from the hamsas. They are the emissaries for the geniuses in world history. Thus, for example, it can be verified that there was a connection between the leaders of the French Revolution and this spiritual side of history. The Great White Lodge had to send out its emissaries to prepare and give teaching to the people so that they could become the organs on the physical plane for carrying out the will of the masters. This was also the case with Wolfram von Eschenbach. The existence of the White Lodge was known about in the Middle Ages and at that time was called the Grail Castle. In it was the White Brotherhood. The one who was sent out at that time to carry out the founding of towns on the physical plane was Lohengrin. He was taught directly by a Hamsa and gave teaching, in turn, to Henry I, who was known as a founder of towns. This meant that the souls of the time were to receive a new characteristic from the, in quotes, homeless one. In the language of occultism, the soul is always symbolized by a female figure. Elsa von Brabant represents the soul of those times. She was to be married to a knight, Telramund, who belonged to the old tradition. But an emissary of the Grail comes and frees Elsa von Brabant, the soul of the times. Through Wolfram von Eschenbach's work, this time is characterized by Henry being led to Rome, where inward esoteric Christianity is fighting the great enemy of Christianity, the Saracens. Lohengrin is a homeless one, whom one is not allowed to ask whence he comes. 
It goes against the obligations of his order to ask him. He has a kind of Janus head. On the one hand, he must look to the occult brotherhood, and on the other hand, to the people he has to guide in the physical world. Richard Wagner often found poignant words as when, for example, Lohengrin sings, Receive my thanks, my dear swan. This is the moment when the swan leaves him and he becomes dependent on physical conditions. He is placed in a world that is not quite appropriate for him. It is not his true world. His world is the world of the other side, so he must be regarded as homeless. When his mission is fulfilled, the homeless one returns whence he came. When his origin is revealed, he must leave. This is hard for one who has entered into relationship with the physical plane. Hence Elsa von Brabant has to ask him three times where he comes from. Thus we see that this period is depicted by the initiate Wolfram von Eschenbach in its association with the higher planes. Lohengrin is the emissary, the messenger of the Grail Knights. The Grail Knights are the White Lodge on Mont Savat. It was the task of the emissaries of the Grail, the Grail Knights, to renew again and again the ancient traditions of genuine true Christianity. This is what was born in mind when the Grail Castle and the Holy Grail were spoken about. The Grail Knights were imagined as the defenders of what had come into the world through a proper Christianity. This is indicated in the Gospel of John. The Word became flesh. What was transfigured and glorified by Christ was physical existence itself. He came into the physical world. The other great individuals were teachers of humanity, Buddha, Zarathustra, Pythagoras, Moses. They were all teachers. They are the way and the truth. But only Christ, in an occult sense, is the life. Hence he says, No one cometh unto the Father save by me. A healing of life could only take place when the Word entered directly into the human body. This bringing down of the divine onto the physical plane was to be renewed again and again by the White Lodge. Thus the Grail Chalice is portrayed as the same chalice from which Jesus served the Last Supper and in which Joseph of Arimathea collected the blood of Christ on Golgotha. In this way the principle of Christianity was to be preserved and to live on and was to receive new energy through twelve Grail Knights who following on from the Apostles were sent forth as emissaries to undertake new tasks. The way of seeing things throughout the Middle Ages was that when an important stage of civilization was to be reached, a cella, a swan, would have to impart teaching to the people. This is how Wolfram von Eschenbach saw and portrayed history. Anyone who was able to read between the lines of Wagner's title Lohengrin will find that Wagner felt intuitively, not intellectually but feelingly, that there was something great here. This is why he believed in a renewal of art by associating it with what is superhuman. In the Middle Ages this was depicted by showing that when Elsa van Brabant tried to hold Lohengrin in this world, he withdrew and, according to Eschenbach, went to India. In the end, the Grail Castle, too, was imagined to be in India. It is also said of the Rosicrucians that when they withdrew at the end of the 18th century, they had gone to Asia, to the Orient. 
This is the history of the founding of towns in the Middle Ages, according to the record in the Akashic Chronicle. Details might be described differently by others, but in broad outline they will always agree. The end of Lecture 2